I'm not in the doom and gloom on short term as it comes. So to me, the best thing about real estate is that you can, if you're buying right, you have multiple exit strategies or multiple rental strategies. And short term rental regulations are important to know if you're if you're wanting to get into short term. But like now with the advance of midterm rental and that strategy, a lot of times you can just pivot to midterm. You're at 30 day stays and up. And I think that's your first pivot. Welcome to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Marcus Maloney. Today, we have a very, very special episode with Jonathan Green. Jonathan is a real estate investor from out of the East Coast, so New Jersey, New York area, Brooklyn native. And what we're going to be talking about today, man, I think is something that's very, very key to newer investors getting started. So, He's been in real estate for over 30 years, right? Grew up under his dad, learning the business of real estate investing. So we, today we talked about how to build your real estate portfolio, rental portfolio. We talked about short-term rentals. We talked about the state of the market and what to look for in your specific market and agent investor relations, because that's very, very important and very, very key. So let's jump right into this episode. And remember, please feel free to share this episode with someone that you know that's looking to get started in real estate and someone that is looking to transition from their nine to five into real estate full time, because we definitely have the answers for you. And if you're a wholesaler and you're looking for a real estate purchase contract, go to MarcusEMaloney.com. That's MarcusEMaloney.com. About halfway down the homepage, you will see a box that says, give it to me and I'll give you that real estate purchase contract right away instantaneously for you to get started. So without any further delay, let's jump right into this episode with Jonathan Green. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show a podcast that discuss the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing Hello, welcome, 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 welcome to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Marcus Maloney, and today we have Jonathan Green, who's going to be blessing us uh, today with some great real estate information, news, topics. He's been investing for over 30 years. Prior to our conversation, he was saying that he had properties in his name since he was like five or six years old. So trust me, you want to be ready. You want to listen. You want to make sure you have everything that you need to write down detailed notes, because I assure you that Jonathan is going to bring a wealth of information. Um, he is, he hails from out of New Jersey, born and bred Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn Heights uh, native, and he is a broker. Also, so we can talk on the traditional buy sell side. We could talk investor perspective. We're going to just uh, go with the flow on today because there's a lot of things that's going on in the markets up, down, sideways, flat um, that we can jump into. So, man, Jonathan, how are you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, Marcus. Thanks for having me. I love equity as well. So I'm, uh, I'm ready to get going. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Give us that 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 background, man, because you were telling me that you were you had properties in your name since you was like five years old. How did that transpire? Yeah, I definitely. So my dad uh, was an attorney as I was an attorney. I don't practice anymore, but my dad's passion was real estate like that. He didn't really make much money as an attorney. He made all of his money in real estate. And, and he didn't come from money. You know, his dad was an alcoholic gambler, so they'd have money and then they'd have no money. So he he didn't he he kind of developed his own mindset and didn't have that scarcity mindset that he kind of grew up having because he'd get a new car and then the car would be taken away. He just had this like mindfulness part about him, which I've adopted over the years. 
So he was buying a lot of properties at foreclosure back in the day. There was no internet. So we get lists from the courthouse, go look at them. Uh, a lot of times they were locked. We could see they were vacant. So he would push me through the window. I would open the door. So I was really actively looking <laughs> at properties from the time I could walk on. And I think I, I always had a healthy like for houses. I just started to develop like a real affection for houses. And then each year that I got older, he would teach me more. He would bring me to all of our rental properties. He would bring me with me, introduce me to the tenants for commercial properties and, and for residential properties. And then as I got older, he asked me to go collect the rent, which is a whole, a whole nother rabbit okay, hole, which was okay. entertaining, but that's how it started. And he was, he was very smart. He had worked for the IRX, IRS before. So he had separated properties into my sister and my name on purpose, but he really gave us, you know, I guess like, you know, mental ownership and said like, Hey, you, you own this, let's figure mm -hmm. out how it works. So even as a child, when nobody really wants to listen to their dad, I was still soaking up the information. And that's, that's good. That's key because my son and daughters actually just paid off their first rental last awesome. year, last spring. So, and like you said, it's that mental ownership, you know, you come from a dad's perspective, they just think, Hey, you know, dad is just talking, 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 <laughs> but when you can show them, Hey, you own this, how are you going to co collect the rent? How are you going to get tenants in here? It really gives them that ownership perspective. And man, your dad, he laid a great foundation for you, man. So you should be, you know, blessing him and thanking him Absolutely. You know, no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my kids are 22 and 20 now, and they they're interested as I was, but there was something that clicked when he started to ask me to help him collect the rent, I started to see it as a business. And I think that's what really started to, you know, start the trajectory of how I'd look at real estate. I liked it aesthetically. I thought houses were interesting. And my dad was also a flipper. So we would live in a house, it would be like the best house, we loved it. And then he'd say we're moving. And we're like, yep. what are you talking about? It's like, well, this is how it works. We're going to make this money. So he was always placing real estate in a business context. And it, it it helped me a lot because it took away the like emotional attachment to house. He would always say, well, we'll you'll have the same room at the new house. We'll just, you're bringing mm -hmm. all your stuff. It's going to be fine. And I think, I, I mean, I've done that with my kids. I think when they were little, they, they didn't like it when we were moving, but then they'd get to a new room, new house, and then it's fun. And I think that's kind of the way that I've looked at houses. And I, I have looked at it as a business my whole life. So I was always thankful to him for that. He passed away when I was 33, about 19 years ago. And that's when I really, I got out of law after that and really started to do other businesses that were more entrepreneurial and then really activated more on the real estate side, which I was, I've, I've never stopped doing real estate. And that was something that important that he taught me that no matter what my career path was, which started as an attorney, that I could always be doing real estate on the side so that mm -hmm. I had something else going that was generating income. And that helped me a lot because I started, you know, working for the government in 1997 and my salary was 25 grand. So wow. I needed to have something else going <laughs> yeah. at the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's, that's big there, you know, because you basically had a mentor along yeah. your journey, you know, what was that, that kind of, that one aha moment, you know, or interaction between you and your dad that made you really say, okay, I think this is the path I want to go down. Yeah, it was around the rental properties because the first summer that I came home to, I came home to work in his law office, but he, I had a desk in the back and I remember sitting down and he's like, well, this is the rental ledger. You know, here's all our rental properties, which at the time was maybe like 10 or 15 on one side. And he's like, and here's when they've paid. And this is the summer. So I think I came home in May because it was my first year of college. And like, there were not, there was only like a few X marks between January and May for a lot of the properties. I was like, well, you know, why aren't, why aren't there X marks and all? He's like, well, they haven't paid. And I uh -huh. said, why haven't they paid? You know, like, I'm still like right. a kid, you know, like, I don't understand. What do you mean they haven't paid? How can they not pay? Why don't you just kick them out? He's like, I don't want to kick anyone out. I, I like the tenants. I'm trying to help them. And we went through this kind of like holistic approach to real estate and my dad was a softy. He was never going to be mm -hmm. like hardcore. And we did evict a lot of people in weird foreclosure situations, but we would like literally wait till like the absolute end to do it. Mm -hmm. But it was something in that moment of, of collection and my dad's kind of like ability to focus on the person, you know, and I think 
I've always described it for newer landlords. I know that you, the, you know, part of your audience is going to be newer investors, maybe they're house hacking, new multifamily. Mm-hmm. You know, your tenants are the caretakers of your property. So if you're not a good landlord, you're not helping yourself. You're not promoting a, a feeling of home, especially right now, 2023 at the end, or if this comes out in 2024, like affordability is not good now. Rental properties are important, but being a good landlord is even more important because those people can do whatever they want to your home. They're living in it. Yep. So if you're not taking care of them, they're not going to take care of the house. And that was really kind of like a, a real estate and then like a personal perspective that really helped me see beyond, you know, the numbers and see beyond a house and say like, well, we're giving shelter to someone. We're making money too. Like mm-hmm. we, my dad mm-hmm. liked to make money, but he wasn't like, you know, if people were a few months behind, he wasn't, he would talk to them and he right, would try to right. figure out when that's going to go. But to finish the story, he he asked me to figure out how to get paid. So over the summer, I had been talking to them. I would go, you know, and I would try to figure it out. And I was kind of like not great at the empathy part. And mm-hmm. I started to learn and I came up with the idea of payment plans weekly. And that changed the trajectory of how we got paid. We ended up getting paid all up to date within six months on all of those. Because what happened were people were you know, get a big check. Some of them were working construction jobs. They get a big check and they wouldn't save it till the end of the month. Right, you know, they'd right. have to pay for the kids or something else. So we'd say, well, just give us a little, break it up into weekly and we'll pick it up. And and that was kind of like the beginning of a landlord journey for me. Wow. Wow. That's excellent. That's excellent. So guys, you hear a lot of things, you know, in this story from Jonathan, you know, you got to be able to solve problems. You got to be able to figure it out because not everything is going to work according to plan. Not everything is going to work according to what you have on your spreadsheet. So you got to be able to move pieces around and, and have some empathy and work with people, you know, in certain situations. And one of the things that I always say, Jonathan, is we're a service provider. Although we, you know, we want to collect rents and everything like that, we still provide a service to the community and we have to make sure we have a quality product you know, that they will take care of and want to live in because the last thing that we want is tenant turnover because that costs thousands of dollars to turn the property over. Absolutely. With that being said, Jonathan, when you started moving into your own individual career as a real estate investor, what was the first thing that you did? Did you have some of the properties from your dad that, you know, was already in your name? How did you build up your portfolio? Yeah, uh, fortunately, we had a portfolio built that we eventually mm-hmm. and then we took over full time, uh, really, when we were 21. And then after my dad passed away, we 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 still maintained a lot of those properties. We still have like a few now, uh, but we sold most of them during the pandemic. Um, the first property that I bought on my own, I was in Florida, I had just finished law school. Uh, and I bought what I would call just a typical Florida development house. I was living in plantation at the time, uh, which is just outside of Fort Lauderdale, Mm -hmm. very residential, all like townhouse communities. They were single families, but they were like right next to each other and they all Mm -hmm. looked exactly the same. So again, at the time there was no internet. So I went out with a realtor, you know, you get the paper MLS, a lot of (laughs) your younger investors are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) They would have a book, you go out. So you don't know what you're going to get till you get there. There were no photos, so, you know, I I went to a development where I wanted to live, where it, it looked nice, it was clean, and there were seven different houses on the market. So I just picked the cheapest one, bought it for cash, and then I figured out really quickly what was going on with real estate and what my dad was doing for years, because I lived there for about a year to a year and a half. And the only thing I did is make it nice, which means I recarpeted everything, I painted you know, I added a little bit mm-hmm. here and there, probably swapped the appliances out, but I really didn't do anything. And uh, I went to move and buy another house about 18 months later, and I made like 25,000 bucks. And this wasn't a big purchase at the time. It was a big, it was a big house, but it was probably like $200,000 maybe. Okay. So making 25 that fast, it really was like, oh, okay, now I get this. And over my career, probably the best money I've made outside of a couple really good flips was all on single family houses that I lived in. And Mm -hmm. I think that's like the one thing 
that investors are missing because no gurus talk about like you can actually enjoy your own houses. And then, you know, we're talking about equity, you get the appreciation. So I became really good about buying in areas that were going to get really good. And I've always been still good at that. I just know when an area is like close so that Mm -hmm. I can turn over two, three, four. I don't usually stay in a house more than five years. And then a lot of times in Florida at that time, I doubled my money a few times after right. that, just, just, on, I just lived in a house and I fixed it up while I was in there. And then sometimes as I got older, I do what I call back flipping, which is enjoying the house for as many years as I'm there, you know, doing a little bit of fixes here and there, but then going to buy another house, then it's vacant. Then I do an entire backflip, which is flipping at the end of the cycle of the time because times have changed, you know, people's tastes have changed. So I put mm-hmm. a bunch of money in at the end that I've already earned in equity over the time from appreciation. Gotcha. Then I do the flip and then I get that much more out on the back end than sell a premier product like that. Okay. And that's, and that's one of the things that real estate investors are not really talking about is the living flips. Yeah. And I didn't understand it when I was younger, but, but my uncle and aunt, that was one of the things that they did. They would go and buy these crappy houses and live in them. And we would go over like for holidays and there would be no kitchen. You know, it would be yeah. one bathroom would be finished. The other one wouldn't be finished, you know, but then they would live there for two years, you know, let the homestead act kick in that way when they sell it, there's no capital gains or anything like that. Cause that was their primary residence and they would do it over and over and yeah. over, you know? And I was like, I didn't understand it, but now when you talk about it, it makes sense because you get to enjoy the home. You have limited risk versus traditional flipping where it's like, okay, I got eight to 10 months to get in here, get out, pay my hard money lender back, you know, plus, you know, get somebody to buy it, close it, and then take that money and do something else. But like you say, you get a chance to enjoy the property and then you don't, get those capital gains taxes and then you move on to the next property. So that's, that's, that's dynamic. It was one thing that you said in regards to the rentals that I'm really trying to remember, but starting out, right. So your Mm -hmm. father had had the portfolio and you learned from him and, you know, God bless your dad. So after he passed away and everything went to you and your, your family, what was the first things that you guys did with those properties? you know, made sure that the books were up to date. You know, my dad was like very lax. He was, he, he, he was very good, great to, to phenomenal with money, but he was very empathetic. So we immediately checked the books, became a little bit tougher as landlords, not tough, but like more how he should have been. But like a lot of those tenants stayed for a good 10 years after that. So it's not like we came in, you know, we're terminating leases. We made sure the rents were going to go up the next time the cycle came up because he wasn't big on raising rents either. You know, he balanced multiple properties with cash flow. So he was very cognizant of not trying to like push up the rent each time. We looked at it more as a business together, but still, again, maintain those tenants a lot. So I think it was more like making sure we're up to date. And like we had weird things happen on a lot of properties that are, you know, this is like an alert for all new investors to make sure you're always doing full inspections, because that's not what my dad did back in the day. We just buy properties at foreclosure. He didn't care. He knew the risks. So Mm -hmm. but when we sold my dad's primary residence, we found three underground oil tanks, all thousand gallon in the back. Two were leaking, one hit a water source. So that cost a hundred grand. And, you know, these are things that like investors don't think of, you know, or a real estate agent who doesn't know what they're doing with investors like, oh, it's fine. They don't, you know, they don't have oil tanks around here. Well, I mean, I'd rather pay 250 bucks to make sure I don't spend a hundred thousand. You know, this one we already own. So we were going to get it anyway. Mm -hmm. But, and then we had a commercial property in in Cross River in, in Westchester, New York, that it backed up against the wetlands and we had a deli there and they kept saying that the runoff from the back of the deli, which was just like water, was going into the wetlands. And two separate times they made us regrade the entire, you know, back mm-hmm, parking back. area, just a wetlands that was like, you know, 200 acres. This was literally the edge. It was just sticks Two, you know, two separate times we had to pay a hundred thousand dollars. So 
these were things where we eventually were deciding between ourselves, like, Hey, which of these do we want to sell? So, you know, we started to sell off the ones that were the biggest pains and then reinvest those into other things. And we started doing short-term rentals a, a long time ago, well before Airbnb existed. And we found out quickly that that it's a, it's a different business. You're in the hospitality business with short-term rentals. True. You're True. not in a real estate business. You're providing hospitality. And that was fun. And going back to what we were saying about just the enjoyment factor of real estate, we were buying short-term rentals in just places that we like to go. And we mm-hmm. weren't going to go all the time. So then we always had a place to go. Like if we were going to Florida or San Diego, we had a place. And then we just short-term rental it, you know, the rest of the time, gotcha. you know, again, before the Blitz, Verbo and HomeAway were around them, but they were still kind of new. And we we felt out that process as well. So, you know, I, I think the enjoyment aspect of real estate investing, if you just look at what is portrayed on social media is like not really talked about. Everyone talks about, you know, their doors and, you know, all their properties mm-hmm. in other states. But like, I, I like houses and I like to live in nice houses. They don't have to be like fancy, but I want to make them nicer. So, you know, I I think the fact that with real estate, you can always value add anything. Like you said, your relatives were doing, you know, you live in there. You can at any time add value with just sweat equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, what kind of better asset can you have? You can't, you know, go and put a new cabinet into a stock or crypto. Like it doesn't work like that. That's out of your hands. Real estate is in your hands. Right. You can force that appreciation on your own. One of the things that I did want to touch on, Jonathan, is you being in New York, along the eastern seaboard, New York, New Jersey, everything like that. And you hear a lot of people say, well, you know what? I don't want to own rental property in a blue state. I'd rather own a property in a red state. We understand, you know, the tenant laws, tenant-friendly states versus uh, landlord-friendly states. How do you combat that, you know, being a New Yorker? you know, in New York. And that's all you hear about is, you know, New York laws. <laughs> and and the reason why I speak about it is because I do a lot of investing in Illinois and there's a lot of people, especially here in Arizona. Oh, I'll never own a rental property in Illinois. You know, the laws, it takes too long to evict, things like that. Can you touch on that subject for the newer investors that yeah. may live in one of those blue states and kind of concerned about, you know, being a landlord? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, I'd love to answer that. So, you know, to me, they're both obviously they're both tenant friendly states, New Jersey and New York, and they always have been. And I can, you know, I remember being at an eviction proceeding. I did it myself because I was an attorney and they were six months behind and no hope of paying. And the judge actually said to me, well, they're trying. And when he said that to <laughs> me, I was like, well, you know, this isn't really an option. So the way that I think of it, when somebody says, like you said, oh, well, you know, evictions take too long. If you're a landlord, you never want to get in the position where you have to evict someone. It's the worst for everybody. It's contentious. They could burn down your house, put rocks down the toilet. You never want Mm -hmm. to be in the position where you're evicting someone. So your job as a landlord is to be good at relationships. And a lot of new investors are taught, try to get in an LLC so they don't know who you are. And I'm like, that. you always want them to know who you are because they have to be accountable to someone, not an LLC. And the Mm -hmm. better, like we were saying, and the better relationship that you can build with your tenants, the better they're going to take care of the property. So I don't really think if I was buying an apartment building, I I would consider landlord tenancy because over the scale of 180 units, like you're going to have to do some evictions, especially if you're taking over a value add. So I do think it's relevant on large scale multifamily, but for your, your mom and pop or just like, you know, regular investor, it's not relevant to me because my job is to be the best landlord. You know, I want to be someone where they can call me and say, Hey, this is what's going on. And I also have to know, like, personally, my strengths and weaknesses as a person, and I'm not a great landlord in the one-on-one. So okay. I know that I, I need a buffer as a landlord because I don't want to deal with the minutia of the stuff. So my sister would handle that stuff. And then if something, you know, had to go up a level, then I would handle that. Okay. Um, and that's really important for investors to know, you know, when you get your first property, do you like being a landlord if you're doing a house hack? Like, do you enjoy it? Do you do you like making sure that they're okay next door? So I built a lot of ways that that you know new landlords can do better with their properties. But I think part of that is also knowing yourself, like when you're looking over the large scale, which of these asset classes is going to be the best for my personality? Because a lot of people get into investing to get out of their 
you know, yeah. nine to five job. Nine and then five. they realize, wait, investing's nine to nine and then the other nine to nine. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's great. That's a key point. The way you put that is because, you know, that investor identity is very important. If you're looking to go large scale, right. And you're trying to do 180 doors, 200 doors, something like that. You want to be in one of those, landlord friendly states versus tenant friendly states and you have to understand what landlord friendly states are truly landlord friendly yeah. because you have some states that are quote unquote red states but when it comes to the politics of tenant tenant landlord laws they really take a blue skew to it so you you definitely have to know so let's take a brief break jonathan hear a word from my sponsors when we come back we'll talk about what you what you touched on was the short-term rentals how you guys got into that and what do you see on a horizon for short-term rentals so let's hear a brief take a brief break hear a word from my sponsors we'll be right back are you tired of seeing others becoming successful real estate investors and you just don't know where to start you see all the Instagram posts of others being successful. You see the Facebook ads guaranteeing instant success. You look at tons of YouTube videos and you even attend seminars just to be tricked into 10, 20, or even $30,000 courses. Well, with the Deal Finders Club, my husband is here to change things for you. Have you said to yourself, I'm deadly afraid to talk to sellers and I have no confidence. I don't know where to find motivated sellers. I don't know where to get a contract from. I don't know how much to offer the seller, let alone where I'm going to get the money from to close the deal. Well, in the Deal Finders Club, Marcus and his partner, Mike, are going to show you how to overcome all those challenges and more. Find out how by going to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. We'll see you inside. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers. With 100% coverage across the U.S., PropString provides a deep dive into any property-specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sell prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home. All right, guys, we are back with Jonathan Green, and we're talking about now, we're going to transition to talk about short-term rentals, because right now with Airbnb, VRBO, everything like that, and some of the legalities that are starting to pop up with short-term rentals. So, Jonathan, what do you see on a horizon for short-term rentals? Yeah, uh, so I'm not in the doom and gloom on short term as it comes. So to me, the best thing about real estate is that you can if you're, you know, you're buying right, you have multiple exit strategies or multiple rental strategies and short-term rental regulations are important to know if you're, if you're wanting to get into short-term, but like now with the advance of midterm rental and that strategy, a lot of times you can just pivot to midterm. You're at 30 day stays and up. And I think that's your first pivot. But a lot of times, like there's been times where we had, you know, our short-term rentals started off in like very summer friendly areas. So we would crush it during the summer and then we would rent it for a six month stint off summer for what was like a short long-term rental instead of trying to do short-term then because it wasn't that popular. Now, gotcha. I think in almost any area you could do this short-term rental strategy and it would work as long as the regulations are favorable. Because think about it this way. A lot of people are thinking like short-term rental means only vacation homes or, you know, tree houses or beach homes. Mm -hmm. That's not how it is. If you just think like midterm rental, even everyone always talks about travel nurses. To me, I think about uh, patients and their families. A lot of people are in the hospital for a long time. Do people want to stay in a hotel where they have no laundry? So I, yeah. I haven't stayed in a hotel in more than 20 years unless it's like just a two-day trip because I like to have, I don't, I like my own space. I like to have mm -hmm. a, a refrigerator. I like to get groceries. I don't want to go eat out. And that's how we figured out like originally, like this is great. 
So we started doing it. And again, that's the thing. So even for like, I, I live in a kind of like a rural area, Morris County, not rural, but definitely like mm-hmm. not, not busy. And I'm looking at a property here to, to do it with, because like, I could just go on my local Facebook page and say, Hey, whenever anybody's parents come into town, I have a short term, I wouldn't even need to, to list it on right, one of the sites. Right. So this is the thing, like you have to be thinking multiple exits and that's what's really important for new investors. No property should just have one option. Even if you're flipping, you know, prices could change, market could go down, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to rent it. And you have to look at all of those in the beginning. So you're never at a loss. So I do know people who, when it started in LA, when they put in the first band, we used to stay at a place, the guy owned like seven and he was like, I don't know what to do. You know, because he was yeah. he was really good on the short term. And so he had to sell or adjust to 30 day stay, which is just a different model. Mm-hmm. And 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 like you said, it's it's not new, you know, corporate housing, that's midterm rentals, that's short term yeah, rentals, you know, so it's not like it's something new, something earth shattering or groundbreaking. It's, it's it's been around for years. You just have to know how to pivot. And that's one of the key things as a real estate investor is seeing the problems coming up on the horizon and how can I get in front of it? So you guys that's listening, you always got to keep that in the forefront. Just like Jonathan said, you have to have multiple ex- multiple exit strategies. So if you buying this property for a short-term rental, why don't you run the numbers as if it was a traditional rental or exactly. midterm rental? That way, yep. if you don't hit your short-term rental marks or goals you can still have you know good income coming in as a as a midterm rental or you may just need to move into it yeah and i can tell you like the the best uh, idea for house hackers which is people who want to buy a multifamily, live in one side and rent either the other or the other units the more units you have the more opportunity you have to turn one of those into short term or midterm which is going to make you x x more money you know in my area short term versus, you know, a a regular monthly rental that could be three to four X on your numbers if you do it correctly, even even taking into account vacancy rates. So for me, like if I was buying and wanted to house hack now, and I was going to live in one side, I wanted to get extra benefit on the other side, I'd be thinking short term or midterm, closer you are to transportation, the better, you know, there's such there's just so many options. And the pandemic changed the way we look at rental real estate. So there's just people who you know, they don't want the burden of home ownership and affordability is high. But look, there's a lot of people who just like to be mobile, you know, this kind of like fix up fan philosophy. That's who stays in short term rentals. You can you can do it everywhere. You do need to research it. And like I like using sites like AirDNA. But what I do when I want to look in an area for a short term rental is I go on Airbnb, which just happens to have the most. And I go as if I'm going to rent a place there and I look at what's on the market you know, Mm -hmm. and what's available. And I look at the, how, how nice they are. And if there's not a lot of nice ones, I I immediately know, like I I can do fine here. Right. You know, the regulations are okay because there's enough that I can see, but they're all kind of like, you know, old, you know, Mm -hmm. and they haven't upgraded to like super host capacity. And now for people who want to get into short-term rental now, I mean, you have to understand you need to spend money on the experience. Short-term rental now wins are all experience based. You want to be adding as many amenities as possible because during the pandemic, hedge funds were buying short-term rentals, which increased the volume, but there's a lot of bad short-term rentals. So those are going to be sold. You know, they're not nice. They're just kind of blah when you get there. That's Mm -hmm. not what people are looking for. If you're at the top 1%, you, you'll never stop making money in short-term rentals. So I'm not in with the doom and gloom. I, I love short-term rentals. I always will. I always want to stay in them. I, I just think you have to be smarter than what people did during the pandemic was like, ooh, other people are making money. Let me buy one and Let me, uh, not really try that hard. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you you have to go in with a hospitality mentality. You know, you have to go in and say, how can I make this experience enjoyable for the guests, not look at how much money can I make off of this asset without doing, you know, anything to it. So it's just like going to a hotel. Do you want to stay at a five-star hotel or do you want to stay at, you know, the do drop in, you know, that's <laughs> infested yeah. with addicts. But to, to your point, say you go to just a, an offbeat hotel that doesn't have a name, but they're like very good with the hospital, you know, hospitality. They're talking to you and like, that's a good value. Like you, 
if you do the things hospitality wise the right way, you won't have to worry about the income stream unless you're just terrible at marketing. I mean, they have mm -hmm. platforms. All you need to do is upgrade the photos, make them yeah. experience, upgrade the amenities. You know, if you have an extra closet, maybe that turns into, you know, a stand up video game or something else there. And I, I remember when, you know, even 10 years ago, when we were staying in short term rentals, you know, we would a lot of times go with my sister and all of our kids. So it'd be like 10, 15 people like this, this, like you said, this wasn't new. We were going to like Captiva Island in Florida when I was a kid, you know, staying in either timeshares mm -hmm. or short term rentals. They just weren't they didn't have an industry built around them. You would right. go to a local realtor and the realtor would have all these short term rentals you know, in these areas in Florida, that's how we stayed every time. And then we started buying properties like I did because we wanted to stay there. So my dad would buy something. And I think if you want to do short-term rentals, make sure you buy something that you want to go to because why not get some enjoyment out of it too? You look, there's two weeks unbooked, like go use it. That's the whole point. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So guys, we talked about the rental properties. We talked about short-term rentals. So we're kind of covering the gambit. And I know that you're a broker also, Jonathan, and you have a team, what do you see? And I know that this is a broad, very broad question. <laughs> I, I love know, them anyway. <laughs> yeah. As far as the market, right? Because I'm, I'm a licensee as well here in Arizona, as well as in Illinois. And, you know, you hear the headlines, 10,000 realtors, you know, drop their license. What are you seeing as far as, you know, the landscape on the horizon for the housing market. Yeah. I mean, I love those headlines because it's like, I mean, the bar to entry to become a realtor so low, of course, so 10,000 yep. people are going to drop. Everybody thinks they get their license and then money falls out of a tree and people yep. buy the houses and pay. <laughs> like it's, it's real estate agent business is so much harder than people think, but it's also because the perception is that most of people don't do the work and that's because it's true. Most mm -hmm. realtors aren't trying very hard, you know? So that's actually a function of the market as well. So there's yeah. all these commission lawsuits going on now, you know, rates are high. There's, you know, basically no properties around. To me, none of that matters. And, and again, like if you look at the national news, it's not really relevant. I, I always say that real estate is local. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you're, you're in Arizona, you know, your area, that's not going to apply to the same, you know, as in your other area, like in Chicago or in Illinois, right. these are every single market is local. And if you just focus as an agent or an investor on the markets that you're in and just focus on those, ignore the national news, pay attention to the rates, but like, it doesn't adjust what I do. I've never stopped doing what I do because of, you know, a highlight reel out there. Do I think it's going to be different? I don't think rates are really going to come down that much over the next year. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if we're lucky, they they touch the sixes. But I think what's going to happen is a, a lot of people, this is like cyclical, you know, like mm -hmm. our, our parents had rates in like in double digits when they yep. were taking mortgages. Yep. So like what happens is people who have been put themselves on the sidelines for a year, if it doesn't move in a year, they're going to be like, well, I mean, let's buy now, but yeah, they're going to lose. I've lost all the money. So I'm never one of those people who's like, buy now, buy now. It's, it's not a great time to buy now, but if you're comfortable with the rates, like you can still do well, you don't know mm -hmm. what the market's going to do, but everybody in the beginning of the pandemic who was like kind of panic buying to go to the suburbs and everyone's like, oh, everybody's overpaying there. They've all up 200 grand. Yeah. Every single person who bought like at the, at like April to June of 2020 is up 25% on their equity. And this is a show about equity. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, what, what if, when people say, well, I'm going to wait till rates go down. I said, well, how long are you willing to wait? What if they go up? Right. Well, they said, well, the news said they're not going to go up. I said, the, what, do you, what is the news? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the news? It's just like, parts of that's like like a weather reporter i mean come right on. right you know they said it's gonna snow and then it's 60 degrees out i mean you know so like to me if you want to be into real estate as an agent or an investor your job is just to always be focused on your markets you know and mm -hmm. they could be out of state markets but anything that i don't watch the news i don't listen to it i don't look at anything national the only time i look at it is so i can make a tiktok video mocking it right <laughs> that, right that's it <laughs> That's true, because you you hear and you see so much misinformation out there. You know, one person to say, hey, hold on to your shorts because it's going to be worse than 2008, <laughs> yeah. right? Then somebody else says, this is the best time in the past century to buy real estate. You know, so 
it, you have to have your own personal perspective and your look at your own balance sheet. What can I afford? What can I do to keep my investment career and my investment strategy moving forward? So guys, listen to what Jonathan is saying is know your own, have your own perspective. Don't get out here and follow everything that the news is saying, because again, they're taking a national perspective and the data that they collect is normally dated. So what of they're course. saying today is what happened two months Last ago. quarter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But think of it this way. I mean, the way that the reason I don't watch the news is because no matter which, you know, side you fall on, it's all extremes. Yeah. And that's what real estate news is. It's all the extremes. You can watch one thing and says we're going to a recession and the other is a housing bubble and the other says it's going to be great. None of that makes any difference. If you're just focused on what's there, you know, you have to focus on, it doesn't mean that an asset's not going to come up in your area. And the people that I worry about is like new investors who are just getting ready to invest, you know, and they're in whatever, you know, Wichita, Kansas, which is a solid market. A and then they watch, market. you know, they watch a, a, a thing on the news that says like, oh, it's going to be a terrible year when that's a conglomeration of like all of America, again, and extreme to one side. And then they're going to be like, oh, this isn't a good year to invest. And they're going to wait two more years. Rates are going to go up. They're going to have missed. They're going to see that property that they could have bought, you know, yep. for two years. And we all have those the longer you're in it. You have those like, you know, oh, yeah. I missed out on that one. But if you do <laughs> yep. it long enough, you're okay with the ones you miss out on. But it's like, it's very tough if you're new to go into this right now with these high rates. But high rates just mean lower prices. So I don't know mm -hmm. why everybody's celebrating the fact, hey, I hope we get down to four. That's for that's for regular home buyers. Right. That's not doesn't help investors. The prices investors, are going yep. up and that means more regular home buyers are coming in and they're going to buy all the properties that need a little work because they're going to have more money to put into the work. So, you know, that's part of what happened is that regular home buyers got so desperate they were buying investor properties. You know, I'd go look at a property that clearly a dump. That no, mm -hmm. you know, no single family homeowner, first time homebuyer should ever buy. And I can hear them talking with their agent. Oh, I think this is going to cost 10 grand. And the agent's going, yeah, 10 grand. I'm like, this is like 95 grand, right. <laughs> you know? And so they did buy a lot of those houses. And I think they're probably suffering for it because, mm -hmm. you know, all, uh, cost of, of labor is up. Labor's hard to get on, on, on flips, especially for people who don't have their own crews. So, you know, not a doom and gloom for 2024. I'm always looking. I've saved, like we were talking before we got on, I sold a lot of properties. So I have money to deploy, you know, when I start seeing the deals that I like, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a patient investor and I try to, you know, help other investors be more mindful and patient and, and continue to be a participant in real estate investing, which means meetups, masterminds, anything you can get a hand on books, podcasts like this. It doesn't mean you have to, that's taking action. You know, yep. taking action isn't always buying a property in a bad market, but you have to be active in case that property comes up. You have to know, you know, financially, okay, I'm ready. Like you have to be ready for it. If you go to enough meetups, something's going to come across your table. So true. And one of the things that you said there was, you know, you got to get out there, you got to get out and you got to talk to people and you got to go to these meetups. You got to go to RIA's. You know, I, I love our RIA here as RIA, which is the largest RIA it's in the, the best, country. yeah. Man, but we get so much information and we learn what to do. And it's, it's super hyper local. So, you know, they put up what the national is talking about but this is what's really happening in our market here. So you guys that are getting started, you know, go to your local RIA, go to these local meetups and look at what's happening in your local market and talk to, you know, talk to your, talk to a broker that's in the market. You know, they'll tell you exactly what's going on, but make sure you talk to a seasoned broker, not the person that yeah, just absolutely. got their, their license last year or two years ago. Make sure you talk to a seasoned broker and they'll tell you, Hey, you know what? Been here done that we've been here before this is what we anticipate seeing you know you still should buy because real estate is a very very forgiving industry right if you buy a bad deal hang on only, hang on to <laughs> it and, and it's going to turn into a good deal yeah it will but I, th those are those are great points and i think like you know you not you never want to be relying on your real estate agent to make yep. your decisions. You want to rely on them for their expertise and their market knowledge. They should be experts in the market. You want all the decisions to be yours. Whenever a client says to me, like, should I buy this? I'm like, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they said, would you buy it? I'm like, well, I've been doing this, you know, you know, more than 30 years. I'll buy a lot of stuff because I'm into educated risk. 
I don't think that you're ready. And I think the reason why I've been successful as an agent and working with investors is because I'm willing to tell everybody no. You know, and the brand new investors, I will not let them buy stuff. You know, mm -hmm. they look at an as-is property and they're like, oh, it's perfect. You know, the price is right. I'm like, no, it's priced that way for a reason. Like, we're not doing something right. where you can't do inspections. You've never done this before. Like, you're going to lose all your money. And I personally don't want to sign on to that. That's the kind of agent that you want who's willing to tell you no, because then, you know, they don't have what we call commission breath, which is just chasing it. You know, they'll say yes to anything. That's not, you want a partner you know, in the business, whether you're doing a JV deal with an investment partner, or you're trying to find the right agent as a newer investor, which is tough, it's, it's mm -hmm. tough, but you're just looking for people who invest as well, understand the market, and who are looking at the same type of things that you are, and are selling those type of properties, and they become partners that you can work with over and over for years. Yeah, yeah. And one, and one of the things, guys, that you should also talk with your agent about is, tell them your plan. Hey, you know what, look, I'm going to use this as a live-in flip and I'm looking to buy three or four more of them in the next 10 years. You know, what part of this plan can you help me out with and just get their perspective and see what they can do. If, like you said, if they're just coming to you with commission breath saying, well, just buy this one now and we'll talk about, you know, your future plans in the future. You know that that's not the person that you want to work with. You want to work with somebody that has your best interests at heart, you know, naturally, Realtors, we need to get paid in order to, you know, keep our lights on and everything like that. But at the same time, you want to build that relationship so it's long lasting, you know, Absolutely. to where they can see where they can say, hey, I remember when he bought his first property and now he has 25 doors or 30 doors or something like that. Yeah. And that, it, look, I mean, everything about real estate to me is a win-win investing. If I'm buying off market, I'm trying to create a win-win scenario where, you know, that's a good deal for them. It's a good deal for me. I often have to explain like, listen, I'm an investor. I'm not going to pay you market value. If you want to go on the market, we can list your home, do open houses. They're like, no, of course, you know, it's a hoarder mm -hmm. house. I don't want to do that. So I'm just like, well, let's find the, the area where we can both walk away feeling good. And if you focus on that in all of the ways that you build relationships in real estate, the deals will just come to you. You know, you have to be a participant in the things. And then when you're new, you don't know how to participate. So you start to soak up the knowledge at the meetup. And then, you know, you get comfortable. You ask a couple of questions. Your, your job is to like, I, I always just trying to make friends. Yep, you know, like I have it. like thousands of investor friends. Like what's better than that? Like they're going to tell you the real stuff. They're going to take you to their flips and say, hey, this is how it's going. And, and I've always said this. And again, I, you know, I've been in this my whole life on the investing side. Real estate investors, one, love to talk about themselves, love <laughs> to show off their properties. Yep. So if you can come and be of assistance or you're just generally like really interested, there's very few real estate investors who are going to be like, oh, I don't I don't want to help you. You know, it's just the it's just the the someone who just asked like, hey, will you be my mentor with nothing else there? It's like, well, I don't know anything about you. Why right, would I be your right. mentor? You know, you want someone who's like really like salivating at real estate. Investors will show you their properties. Like, it's a great way to to help people. You know, figure out what things cost. It is, and you know, it just if you're new and you're looking to get started provide some sort of service or resource to that investor. If you see that they're doing fix and flips and you have the time, you know, you may want to talk to them and say, okay, well, what in your business do you need assistance with or help with? Exactly. Even if it's the menial things, you know, hey, you're changing locks. Okay, can you run to Home Depot and pick up, you know, a contractor, yeah. pack the locks, something like that, you know, and that's your foray into, you know, the industry and into the business. You can't think of yourself too high to say, well, you know, and I, when I worked my nine to five, you know, I was making a hundred grand and I was, you know, the manager of so-and-so, but you're not, you're not there now. You're you're yeah. starting over and you have to be humble and have to start at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I, I worked for the government for seven years and I remember all my friends like raises were difficult to come by for the government. And they would always ask me, how do you keep getting raises? And I said, well, every time they would ask to put me in a, a higher position, it doesn't come with pay. And a lot of people reject those positions. And I would say, it's fine. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to prove how good I am at the job. And I know I'll get paid every single time. Three yep. months later, I would get the upgrade because I, I proved. And there's nothing wrong with proving yourself. You know, that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to be a gopher, like, that's the best way to learn. If you can pick stuff up or go get permits for someone, anything, you're going to learn a lot that way. And I think if you look at the overall stories of a lot of like, you know, like very social friendly real estate investors, those are the stories that you'll hear.
You know, I fortunately was very lucky. My dad, like you said in the beginning, was my mentor. But if you go to enough meetups, you'll find mentors and friends. I I hold meetups and like we're connecting people. They do more deals because you see more people just like you. And you're like, wait, that that person over there in shorts, 19 doors. Yeah. Yeah. Because read the millionaire (laughs) next door. Not everyone's on social media trying to tell everybody how much. It's just a lot of people just doing what a lot of people did, which is just buy rental properties and see where they go. So, so simple. You know what? And Jonathan, and kind of wrapping up here, yeah. uh, I enjoy this conversation, man. Yeah, me too. This don't Appreciate even it. feel like a podcast. No, right? that's that's why, but that's why podcasts are so fun. You can just yeah. talk about real estate investing, you know, and hang out with people who have the same passion. What's better than that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and guys, don't don't get so caught up, you know, on social media as we were talking about looking at the glitz and the glamour. We all know that there's posers out there. There's fake things <laughs> out there. But if you be around real estate long enough, you'll see the guys, you know, like myself with the gray hair. And they say, well, what have you been doing? I, you know what? Just buying, just buying rentals, just buying yeah. rentals. You know, we'll do a flip here and there every now and then we'll do a wholesale deal here and there, but the real wealth is holding those assets. And that's why we call it, you know, the, we love equity real estate show, because that's how you build up, build up that equity. Yes. You can get force appreciation by doing flips, but then you have those capital gain taxes on the back end. And and I've been there, you know, I got caught with the bug saying, wow, you know what? I love flipping. I want to get out there and do it. I want to get out there and do it. But then it was like the amount of work that you put into that, you know, yeah, you get a big reward at the end, but when you count up the hours and the time and things like that, you're like, man, I just did this flip and I made minimum wage for the past yeah. nine months. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so, and then you always have those regrets at the end of the day. You say, man, you know what? If I would have just held that property that I flipped four years ago, you know what? Yeah, I made a 90 grand check, but I would have 400 grand in equity, you yep. know, right now. So, Well, Jonathan, man, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you so much for being here, man. For somebody that's trying to reach out to you, trying to find you, I know you said you had a meetup. Where can we find you? Where can we reach you? Yeah, best place to my hub site is Trust Green and green as an E at the end. So it's just trustgreen.com. Pretty much everything's on there. Like your podcast, I also have a podcast called Zen and the Art of Real Estate Investing. And that is what actually runs the meetups in the New Jersey area. So all around New Jersey, we run meetups first Wednesday of every single month. And you can find those. It's on the site for streamlined with a D.properties, which is my team. And then on social, you can find me at Trust Green everywhere. I have a bunch of YouTube content that is just like there's an investing playlist that goes over literally anything that you've ever wanted to know. Oil tanks, sewers, you know, it's out there. I agree, like social media is like a very, very awkward landscapes. But like this is the best example. And I always say this like, if you want to know if somebody knows about real estate investing and you've seen them on social media, just find a podcast episode where they've been a guest. And if you can't find any, they're probably not really in the game yep, because yep. to be able to sustain a real estate investing conversation for 45, 60 minutes without blinking and you know going back and forth means that everybody knows what they're talking about. And in little mm-hmm. you know 20 second s- snippets on TikTok, anybody can seem like they know what right, they're talking right. about. That's why this medium is so valuable. So Marcus, I really appreciate you having me on. I had a great time. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate you being on. So guys, you know exactly what to do. You know what I always say, you know, information, education without information. I'm sorry, let me go back. Information without action is just, education without information is simply scratch it. <laughs> I can't even remember it, but you guys know what to do. Get out there and take the massive action because just as Jonathan said, just going to your local meetups, meeting the different investors, seeing how you can help. That is action. Action is not always going out there, closing a transaction, but you want just want to move one step further. So Jonathan, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. And guys, that is a wrap. Always feel free to leave us a five-star review. If you Because I need to know if I'm bringing the right guest on that serves you and you're listening. So make sure you reach out to me. Let me know. And then also I do a 15-minute free consultation. Go to MarcusEMaloney.com. That's MarcusEMaloney.com. I just love to talk real estate, as you can see. So jump on. Let's meet, greet, and let's talk real estate. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's show. 
I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com.